Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I just want to say, holy cow, we are winding down to the final days of December, and I don't know about you guys, but I literally feel like this year just began, and it's already coming to an end. There has been so much to be thankful for in 2021, and in just two months, Crimeaholics podcast will be two years old. And I just want to tell you guys that, first of all, thank you for listening, and if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't continue doing this. I never imagined two years ago when this idea was being tossed around to start a podcast that I would be here two years later still making content. I've always had really big dreams and goals to do various different things in life and some of them worked out but many of the other ones ended with little to no success. So the fact that we are rapidly approaching 1 million downloads is absolutely freaking mind-blowing and I owe it all to you guys. So huge thank you. So let's cut the side talk and let's get into the real reason why y'all are here. I want to start off this episode by saying that there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of drama that surrounds this case in a sense. The very popular YouTuber Kendall Ray has actually covered this case, and shortly after doing so, her video was reported for privacy complaint. It is believed to have been the boyfriend of the victim who made and filed this complaint. However, she had left out all of his information on who he was in the video, so the complaint did not stand. With that being said, I will follow suit in not revealing his identity. However, there are ways for people who are interested. If you really want to know, you can just figure it out on your own. I also want to just go ahead and put it on the table that there's a lot of assumptions and many unanswered questions that seems a little bit off about this case. I encourage you to make your own opinions based from the facts that are provided, and I will be interjecting some of my own thoughts on certain situations, but please do not allow that to influence your own thoughts and opinions on this case. Okay, so I've been blabbing way too much, so without further ado, let's dive in to the story of the unsolved murder of Alexis Patino. As I stated, the very popular YouTuber Kendall Ray did a story on Alexis, and I will have her video linked because some of the information I will be giving is actually from videos that her family made for Kendall to use in her video. So if you'd like to check that out and see what Alexis's family has to say, please check out the description of this episode. Alexis Patino was born six weeks early on July 6, 1995 to her mother, Monica. Her mother, Monica, says that Alexis was always a go-getter, even starting at birth with coming early. Whatever Alexis wanted, she would work for and achieve. Alexis was the oldest of four girls. Monica had Alexis at a fairly young age, and so Monica and Alexis really grew up together. When learning about Alexis, her mom and her sisters, they all seem so incredibly close. And Alexis's sisters even refer to their mother, Monica, as one of their best friends. Alexis was an incredible sister and was really such a great role model to her younger siblings. 
Alexis was a hard worker and achieved anything and everything that she put her mind to, which her sister Mariah says that it was Alexis's drive that helped her know that if her sister could do anything, if Alexis could achieve it and make it happen, she could do it too. When I tell you guys that Alexis is absolutely stunningly beautiful, I am not lying. She is seriously like beauty queen material. But not only did Alexis have the looks, she also had the brains. According to her family, she always got good grades. And after high school, she went on to Mount San Juancito Community College, where she graduated with not one, but two associate's degrees. She had dreams of becoming a nurse and had recently been accepted into Arizona State University, where she planned to study nursing. Alexis absolutely loved people, and even more than that, she loved to help others. So when she decided that she wanted to go into nursing, it just wasn't a surprise to anybody. Nursing would be a perfect fit for her. While in high school, Alexis was a varsity cheerleader all four years. She worked on the student council, and she was in honors classes. From everything that I found on Alexis, and I want to add, unfortunately, there isn't much coverage, but what I was able to dig up was nobody had anything bad to say about her. Everyone describes Alexis as this bright, bubbly, fun, loving, kind person. I will have pictures up of her in all of our social media platforms, but when you look at her, you cannot help but feel her lovingness portrayed through the picture. She literally looks like a shining, bright star with a smile always on her face. Alexis, at the age of 22, had so much going for her. She had been working at Starbucks for several years, but had recently been offered a position at the San Juancito Unified School District. So just before her death, Alexis was working two jobs, one at Starbucks and then one at the school district, which she was loving both jobs. Now, Alexis had a boyfriend. Again, I'm not going to give much details about him, but honestly, when researching this case, I chose not to look far into beyond seeing his name pop up here and there. But the two of them had met about a year and a half before her murder through a mutual friend. About six months into their relationship, Alexis's boyfriend moves to New York, and the two of them chose to continue their relationship long distance. From what I can see on her Facebook, it appears that she went and did visits to the city to see him and even made a post at the end of 2016 talking about how thankful she was for him and how much she loves him. His time in New York didn't last very long and he moved back to California, which at that point, the two of them decided that they would go ahead and move in together since they had already been dating for just over a year. This, of course, was super hard for Alexis's family because they were such a close family and the thought of not having Alexis in the home was really hard for them. But Alexis had promised nothing would change and she would still see and talk to them all of the time. And she agreed to come over at least once a week for dinner with her mom and her sisters. Alexis moved out of the home several months before her passing. In the months after moving out, Alexis became a little bit more distant with her family, and the weekly dinners, according to her mom, never really happened. 
And it wasn't just her family that was beginning to see less and less of her. Her friends were too, and I will say that that was in part her friends choosing. According to her mom, they really didn't want to be around Alexis's boyfriend. They didn't care for his attitude, they didn't like his negative energy, and they just really weren't feeling his vibes. Early on in their relationship, Alexis's mom, Monica, really didn't get a good vibe from this guy either. She recalls a time when they had gone out on a date, and this was pretty early in their relationship. And it was getting pretty late, so she began texting Alexis to let her know that she probably should go ahead and come home. She said that when the couple arrived back at Alexis's home, she could see them standing outside and the boyfriend's demeanor just seemed off. He was kind of pulling at Alexis, trying to get her to stay with him, and he was telling her things. But Monica said she could see in Alexis's body language that she just really wanted to come inside. As their relationship progressed, Monica said that she had seen some bruises on Alexis, and this was when she became kind of concerned about her boyfriend. From what I have learned, Alexis didn't ever say anything about the bruises, so they could have honestly been from anything, but Monica kept her mental notes of different things that she had seen as red flags, and to her, it appeared that the boyfriend was a little aggressive and a little possessive of Alexis. So when Alexis said that she was moving in with her boyfriend, her mom tried to accept it and allow her daughter to grow and make her own decisions. The day before Alexis passed was Sunday, November 19th, 2017, and her family usually got together on Sundays because they were really big football lovers, specifically speaking the Dallas Cowboys, and they usually watched the games together. On that day, Alexis and her boyfriend was kind of going back and forth with their plans. One minute they were going to hang out, the next they weren't, so Alexis kind of canceled her plans with her mom so she could wait around for her boyfriend. It was finally decided that Alexis and her boyfriend would go out that evening for dinner. Since Alexis wasn't going to be hanging out watching football, she told her mom, don't worry mom, I have all of tomorrow off, I'll come hang out with you then. Alexis did, however, come to her mom's house briefly for a bit that day. Her little sister Mariah is extremely talented with makeup, and Alexis decided she wanted Mariah to do her makeup before she went out with her boyfriend for the evening. So they did get to spend some sisterly time together playing with makeup, making Alexis look even more beautiful than she usually did. And after that was all finished, she told her family she would see them later and she headed out the door. From here, the story gets a little bit hairy. There's accounts of what had happened from people who had seen Alexis and her boyfriend. However, because Alexis isn't here to speak for herself, we really don't know the true facts. What we do know is that she and her boyfriend on the night of November 19th, 2017, went to a place called Tilted Kilt for dinner and drinks. And one of Alexis's friends was actually their server that night. While there, the couple ended up getting into some sort of argument or disagreement. And according to what her family has learned from the waitress and Alexis's friend, is that the argument was so bad that her boyfriend decided that he was going to leave and left Alexis alone at the tilted kilt. Now again, this is just what was reported after the fact. There has not been any sort of details that I could find that had stated what the argument was about, so we are all left to wonder. According to her sister Mariah in her YouTube channel and her story on her sister, she believed that it had something to do with some kind of jealousy or something from Alexis's boyfriend. 
But when thinking about this situation, to just leave behind someone you supposedly care at at a restaurant sounds so messed up. Whether or not Alexis knew the waitress that night is besides the point. I just feel it's unsafe to have left her behind at the Tilted Kilt while he went off to go do whatever. Especially given the fact that both the boyfriend and Alexis had been drinking. So after the boyfriend left, Alexis stayed back at the bar to just kind of hang out and drink a little water and get a little bit more sober before she went home. But she did eventually make it back to her apartment that she shared with her boyfriend. Around 10.30 p.m., Alexis would call her sister Mariah. When Mariah answered the phone, all Mariah could hear was some sniffling as if there was somebody crying, but nobody had said anything. Mariah kept saying, hello, Alexis, what's the matter? Hello. And then the phone abruptly hangs up. Mariah tried to call her sister back a few times, but she never got through to Alexis. So she decided just to give her a few minutes and assumed that if Alexis wanted to talk, she would call her back, which a little while later, Alexis did in fact call Mariah back. When Mariah answered the phone, Alexis just started normal chatting like nothing was wrong. Alexis had asked Mariah, what are you doing? And Mariah had told her that she was just at home cleaning her room. Mariah asked Alexis, where is your boyfriend? And Alexis had told her, oh, he's just being annoying. After a little bit of chatting, Alexis once again asked Mariah, what are you doing? This was a little bit odd for Mariah because she had literally just told Alexis what she was doing. So why was she asking again? And Mariah started thinking, okay, maybe she's just drunk. But Mariah knew she was at home in her apartment, so she was essentially safe. The two of them wrapped up their phone conversation with their typical I love you and I'll talk to you tomorrow kind of thing. Phone records from that night showed that Alexis's last phone call was at 11.15 p.m. to her boyfriend and the two of them had talked on the phone for about two minutes. It wasn't until sometime between 2.30 and 3 a.m. that her boyfriend finally decided to head home. And when he got home, he claimed that he was unable to get back into the apartment because it was locked. He did have a key, but from what I have gathered is that he was unable to get back inside of the apartment because there was a deadbolt or something being locked from the inside of the apartment that could not be undone from the outside with a key. So it was like a safety lock of some sort. After knocking on the door for a while, he decided to go ahead and call the police and tell them that he was locked out of the apartment. Police arrived. They also began knocking on the door and no answer. So I guess after that and there was no answer, the boyfriend just said that he was going to sleep in his car. So according to him, he slept for a few hours and got back up at 6.49 a.m. and decided he would find a way into the apartment. Now this is where things get a little interesting in my opinion and I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on this but according to the boyfriend he had told police he decided he would get into the apartment by a kitchen window because it was slightly ajar and he could open it the rest of the way and get in but here is what is interesting Alexis and her boyfriend lived on the third floor of the apartments it's not like he could walk up to the window stand on a stump and get through He had to climb. And it wasn't like he was climbing to a balcony where the window was. No, he had to climb up, step on some sort of railing, and then reach over to the window to gain access. So he gains access through this third-story kitchen window, and that is when he finds Alexis on the floor, unresponsive. 
He called the police and the deputies arrived at 6.57 a.m. When they arrived, he told them that he found Alexis unresponsive and that he had thought that she had killed herself. Deputies saw Alexis on the floor and found that she had suffered from a single stab wound to the abdomen. That morning, Monica, Alexis's mother, woke up and found that she had a text message from Alexis's boyfriend, and it read, quote, when was the last time you spoke with Alexis, end quote. Monica said that she instantly knew that something wasn't right. In her gut, she knew something's wrong. She said that his question was just so forward and so direct, it didn't sit well with her. And honestly, I don't feel like that sits well with me either. So she got up, got out of bed, and called Alexis's phone, and that is when Alexis's boyfriend answered the phone. Monica said that she could tell that he was really distraught sounding and had said that he had found Alexis lying on the floor with blood coming out of her mouth. Monica recalls that she tried to stay calm so that the boyfriend would stay calm on the phone so she could hopefully get some sort of answers on what is going on. Monica asked if Alexis was breathing, and he said no. She asked if he had called the police, and he said yes. So Monica jumped in her car, sped over to their apartment. When she arrived, she was unable to go upstairs to the apartment, and they had one sheriff on scene, and there was crime scene tape put up. There was no ambulance, there was no fire truck or paramedics, and Monica just knew that her daughter was gone. Okay, let's get back to the boyfriend. When asked if he had performed CPR or anything on Alexis, he told investigators that he had not tried any CPR, he had not tried for a pulse or anything, nor did he touch her at all. Sometime just after 11 a.m. on November 20th, 2017, her boyfriend was actually arrested for murder with malice. But unfortunately, because there was a lack of evidence to hold him, he was released the following day. Now, he does have an alibi. He was at a casino, and there is proof that he was there and that he had left sometime around 3 a.m. and had gone home. But there is zero proof of what he did after 3 a.m. until 6.50 a.m. when he supposedly climbed through the kitchen window on that third floor and found Alexis. Did he really sleep in his car like he had stated? Nobody knows. There's video footage of him coming home as far as coming into the complex. But the complex itself surrounding the buildings didn't have any kind of surveillance footage. So there was no proof of what he did if he did in fact go back to his car and get in it and sleep for the night and then get back out at the time he said. There is so many unanswered questions at this point in time and it left her family and so many others really suspicious of this boyfriend. Now, when considering the way in which he got into the apartment, why had he not done that to begin with? We know he called the police for assistance to get inside the home. Why had he not insisted on help from the police to get inside? Clearly, the deadbolt had been locked from the inside, which means someone should have been inside. You would think that he and even the police would have been concerned for the person on the inside. What was said to police? Why wasn't there any concern that maybe something was just wrong with Alexis on the other side of the door and she needed some sort of medical attention? I just feel like there could have been a lot more urgency and concern that could have come from the police. I truly am curious as to what exactly the boyfriend had said to them about it all. And again, I just have so many questions. If it were myself... 
in the officer's shoes, I would have been concerned about whoever was on the other side of the door not responding to shouting and banging on the door. And then being in the shoes of the boyfriend, I would have been concerned if that was my significant other on the other side and they're not answering the door. Like I said, so many questions and a lot of flags, in my opinion, flying. But who am I to say? So Alexis's family completely ruled out suicide being what had happened, like the boyfriend had implied. They said there was absolutely no way, shape, or form that she would kill herself. Alexis had never struggled with depression. She wasn't on any kind of medication for depression, and there never was any signs that she was depressed or down about anything in her life. Sure, Alexis would drink on occasion, but she didn't have an alcohol issue, nor did her family feel she drank excessively to the point where she was doing so to hide something deeper going on. Alexis was more of a social drinker. She would have a drink or two while out at dinner or hanging out with friends or to unwind and just relax. Nothing that I think most of us haven't done. We have all been there with social drinks or a good glass of wine to unwind after a busy work week. Those investigating the case did state that they do not believe that Alexis had killed herself after conducting many interviews with family and friends. But the coroner could not come to a conclusion on the manner of death. I also want to say that suicide with a stab wound is super uncommon and only happens to a very, very small percentage of people who do commit suicide. So an autopsy was performed on Alexis the day after her passing, and though they couldn't determine the manner of death, the cause of death, as we know, is the single stab wound to the abdomen. But in addition to that, the autopsy report does state that there was nine different markings on Alexis, ranging from bruises, scrapes, and even a laceration to her chin and to above the eyebrow. As the investigation went on, a lot of her friends came forward to investigators to tell them various different stories that they had about Alexis and her boyfriend. They stated that he was possessive, controlling, aggressive, and they even recalled times where they had seen physical marks on Alexis. One friend even stated that Alexis had a very visible bump on her head, and another friend had stated that Alexis had asked her if she could stay with her after a heated argument between her and her boyfriend. There's even a clip from a news interview that gets played in the Kendall Ray video. In this clip, it's one of Alexis's friends, and she states, quote, if she had never met him, she would still be alive today, end quote. On Friday, December 1st, 2017, a memorial service was held for Alexis, and her boyfriend did not attend. Her sister Mariah reached out to him prior to the service and was asking him to come, but he did not. And I just want to reiterate here that I am not accusing anyone of anything. I am just stating the facts of what is out there and what the family has felt and said in interviews. Which also leads me to the point that when you Google Alexis Patino, and I highly encourage all of you to do so, there is literally next to nothing on this case. The most of what you will find is content creators like myself sharing the story or bloggers sharing the story. There was one article that I was able to find that required you to pay for it if you had viewed the website too many times, which apparently I had. It has literally been Alexis's family who has continued to fight to keep her name and story out there, and I think that's awful. Where are the news articles? Where is the demand for justice from people like her boyfriend or the community in which she lived and grew up in? There is nothing beyond what Monica and Mariah have put out there about Alexis. 
which to me is problematic. This is a beautiful young girl who had so much going for her in life, and yet it is completely crickets. Alexis didn't deserve to die, nor does she deserve to be forgotten. As I'm sure a lot of you are coming to your own conclusions and thoughts and opinions on this case. As I stated at the beginning, there is a Kendall Ray video that has a lot of interviews directly with her family, but I'm also going to link a YouTube video that is Mariah talking about the case. I know most of us are feeling some kind of way about the boyfriend, and I just want to once again state and remind everyone that nothing has been proven that it was him or that he had anything to do with it. There's just a lot of questions and unaccounted time on his behalf. I also want to state that Alexis had been left alone at Tilted Kilt, so maybe while she was there, she caught the eye of someone and they followed her home, forced entry into the home, and then killed her. They then maybe, I guess, snuck out the window if that deadbolt was locked. Either way, the family has created a petition for people to sign to hopefully get the Riverside County Sheriff's Department actively investigating this case again. Her family feels that the Sheriff's Department has failed Alexis and every other woman who has been a victim of domestic violence. They feel that the Sheriff's Department has not exhausted their efforts in investigating her death, and so they are seeking the help of the Riverside District Attorney's Office. I will have this petition linked in the episode description as well in case you want to go ahead and sign your name in hopes to fight for justice for Alexis. The family also has an Instagram page dedicated to justice for Alexis, and you can find it by searching justice.for.alexis. That link will also be linked in the description of this episode. Her family also has started a clothing line as well to bring awareness to this case. So make sure you guys go give the Instagram page a follow and maybe even go to Mariah's YouTube page and leave her a sweet message just so they know that Alexis's story is still circulating out there and that Alexis has not been forgotten and she will not be forgotten. It is so important to continue sharing these unsolved stories because at the end of the day, someone somewhere knows something and it just takes the person responsible to slip up and tell someone or hint to someone about what had happened. This case can be solved. It just needs a little bit of a push in the right direction and that can come from someone coming forward with any small piece of information. At the end of the day, if you are holding any kind of information that could potentially help this family, please come forward. They do not deserve to live their lives with so many questions about what had happened. They deserve answers, and Alexis deserves justice. If you guys aren't already a part of our private Facebook group, you can find us by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. Also, make sure you follow me on Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. Bye.